Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 179. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Alistair Cook. Well, uh, welcome along to the show. Great to have you back again, Alistair. It's always a pleasure to be here with you, Paul. Thank you. Uh, well, let's jump straight in. Now, uh, this week we've got some uh, news news headlines, some news bites to uh, to run through. Uh, first up, uh, following our discussion last week about um, online or, or mobile uh, taxi applications, Uber and uh, Zoomi, uh, Uber who have been trialling their service in, in New Zealand, particularly in Auckland, uh, for the last few weeks, uh, they launched publicly last Friday. Uh, also in the news was uh, Vodafone. They they also have joined the all-you-can-eat broadband plans, unlimited bandwidth, along with uh, Telecom and a number of other providers. So it's it's good to see a bit more of a level playing field and that those products also have minimal traffic shaping, which is always the concern when there's an unlimited bandwidth, uh, unlimited volume transfer. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty positive, isn't it? I think they're covering uh, across all ADSL, VDSL and, and ultra-fast uh, broadband and they seem to have certainly in my case the uh, the plan I was on was the 500 uh, gigabyte um, VDSL plan. They've just switched that up to uh, to a completely unlimited. Uh, yeah, I have a colleague plan. who's had the same. He got got an email saying you're now unlimited. By the way, we'll just shape something some of the time maybe. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll certainly keep a watch on that. We're certainly interested in uh, in feedback as well. If you have any performance issues with uh, any of these these plans from. Uh, you know, telecom, Vodafone, or some of the other uh, providers, we'd be we'd be keen to to hear what your experiences are. But I think in general, this is something that's uh, that's got to be good for internet users in New Zealand. Uh, now, Microsoft uh, have resolved a uh, a critical security update, one that we actually did discuss uh, last week. They've uh, solved that, uh, resolved that ahead of their usual uh, monthly updates. And they've also made it available as a sort of a one-off patch for uh, Windows XP users uh, who were told that uh, as, as of um, April, they weren't going to be getting any, uh, any new updates. So um, a welcome surprise for those who are remaining on uh, Windows XP that uh, they're still secure or, uh, for a, a fraction longer. Yeah, always good to get a few more patches out, particularly since there's a fair number of people still running Windows XP in, in environments. Hey, did you see that uh, the New Zealand uh, websites are breaking news for us about new Samsung products that Samsung haven't yet uh, told us about? Yes, that's uh, that's very interesting, isn't it? The, the S5 um, Mini. Apparently, we, we know that there is a product called the Galaxy S5 Mini, and we also know that that product is waterproof uh, in the same way that the, the full-size S5, which is kind of shares a, a product name, but uh, if, if it follows the S4 Mini, it, it shares only the name, but none, none of the uh, the same internals. Yeah, um, yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, it, it appeared on um, uh, warranty and, and support information on Samsung New Zealand's uh, website, and it subsequently also appeared on uh, on similar websites in other countries around the world but uh, yeah New Zealand was the uh, the first place where that information uh, we, we broke the leak here apparently was uh, w- was released yeah um, and other news uh, North Power who have had the contract uh, from uh, from the government from uh, the government's crown fiber holdings uh, to uh, build the ultra-fast broadband uh, network in the, the Northland of Whangarei area uh, have finished their part of that project. So 
that's uh, that's one area of the country that uh, that gets the big tick. So if you want ultra fast broadband, then right now uh, buying buying a house in uh, in Whangarei is probably the safest bet of just about anywhere in the country uh, because it's uh, that project's complete. Yeah, past every home, it's going to pass. Now. Um, Rex Bionics. Now, this is this is a company they've, they've been around for a little while. First came across them uh, two or three years ago. They have uh, been building what you Al described as sort of an exoskeleton, yeah, powered exoskeleton, um, the best sort. Yeah, for for those who yeah, maybe aren't in a position to be able to um, you know uh, walk themselves, uh, but can. Get the, get the, get themselves into um, into the Rex Bionics uh, legs, and then it does uh, does the walking uh, for you. Um, very very uh, innovative uh, New Zealand company. Uh, they have uh, have landed up on the um, uh, stock exchange in London on the um, the growth oriented AIM exchange, and uh, in in the process, the uh, the company they've merged with and so on. Um, has has led to them raising about uh, 10, 10 million pounds. So um, sounds quite positive. Does it? Uh, all of the signs seem to be pretty positive for uh, Rex Bionics. The profitability that they're showing, or the the uh, not making as much of a loss as they used to make. Yeah. Um, measure is there, and really interesting products. Having grown up on on Auckland's North Shore myself, that's where they're based. It's kind of uh, some of my home friends. Uh, I kind of get a suspicion I might know some people who work there somewhere. It uh, looks like a really cool set of products. I've got two two of these exoskeletons. So there's the one that you can take home with you and is custom fitted to you. But the one that they're working on hardest at the moment is the one that's used for, for rehabilitation. So targeting hospitals who have a series of people who have had spinal injuries um, through and, and as they re- rehab after those injuries. I think it's, it's an amazing product. And it, it certainly sounds very life-changing for... Um, for patients who have had spinal injuries and can't actually use their, their legs at all. Uh, yeah, and I think it, it's interesting. Um, now, their, their type in the UK is with a company called Union MedTech. Um, but, yeah, it, it is interesting because I think this is a, um, a newer uh, pivot. It certainly isn't what they were doing um, initially, uh, this concept of, of being used, uh, you know, in the hospitals for... Uh, uh, for rehabilitation, and I think that's a really great approach uh, to you know to get their to get their product out there for for starters. Uh, but also the you know those hospital environments are probably more likely to be able to afford this product than uh, um, you know your your average uh, you know in, individual. Yeah, I, I could see um, with this adjustable product, which is the rehab one, uh, that could could have a long life and affect a large number of patients, whereas the, the personal one, which is the take-home custom-fitted one, is going to be for one individual who presumably can find a fairly large chunk of money. Yeah, yep. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, like everything technology-related, as time goes on, uh, there'll, be some, there'll be some efficiencies and the cost will come down. But, uh, you know, not, certainly not at a low-cost, uh, yeah, everyday product. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, something kind of interesting uh, that uh, saw saw online um, last week was uh, the story of someone whose uh, whose life was saved by uh, by their their, their smartphone. Um, so um, the the story goes, and I'm reading this one came from uh, 
phonearena.com, but it's been published um, in in uh, yeah num- number of locations. Uh, but they're saying a a trusty Nokia Lumia five twenty. Uh, which is, I guess, the cheapest of the Windows phones that's out there, um, literally saved its owner's bottom. On May 1, uh, a 24-year-old uh, uh, military police officer uh, went over to his parents' house with the intention to ask his mother to wash his uniform for him. Uh, little did he know he was about to arrive at a crime scene. Uh, two robbers were actually looting the house, um, with his parents being held hostage, and, uh, yeah, ultimately um, a bullet went in his direction and uh, he was protected uh, because it hit his phone. Yeah, I think it's it's the new wrinkle on the Bible in the pocket that saves you from the bullet. In this case, it's uh, the, the Windows phone in the back pocket that saves you from much embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, cool, cool, uh, cool story. Um, Unfortunately, and- the phone didn't survive. No, not it wasn't look wasn't looking too good, but uh, yeah, pretty cool story to uh, to to have anyway. Um, now, rumor rumor has it, and um, that that's about as far uh, as it gets. But we've we've got it on uh, good authority that um, Samsung's, I guess, sort of equivalent of Tim Cook uh, was in New Zealand uh, very recently. Their uh, Samsung Mobile CEO. Uh, J.K. Shin, who you see doing uh, often doing the sort of keynotes of the the uh, launches of the new Samsung products and so on, uh, apparently was in 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 New Zealand. And uh, when a guy like that uh, flies in, more than likely on a you know private jet and uh, uh, all the rest of it. So uh, very. Interesting. Uh, we don't have too many more details on that, and we certainly haven't seen anything in the in the mainstream uh, um, media. And uh, when when we asked uh, Samsung for uh, uh, details, we didn't hear anything back. So, uh, so he uh, wasn't here for a meeting with you then, Paul. So who know what knows what's going on behind the scenes? But uh, yeah, apparently uh, New Zealand is uh, is a sort of a popular destination with uh, with a few of these CEOs. So. Kind of cool. Now, on that uh, Samsung uh, front and the Apple front, um, we had a little bit of uh, closure in the most recent court case between uh, between Apple and uh, Apple and and Samsung. And uh, this time round, Apple have, uh, I guess you could say they've they've sort of won the case. uh, But in dollar terms, we're not talking about a a huge uh, settlement uh, based on the size of these companies. Uh, I think the figure was 122 million uh, US dollar uh, settlement. So, in in the favour of uh, of Apple. In- interesting story at the first paragraph in the story on this on the Verge, suggesting that uh, not only did um, Samsung infringe Apple's patents for 120 million dollars. Apple also infringed Samsung's pay- payments uh, patents for 158 thousand dollars. Yes, a very different sort of scale, isn't it? It is. It is. You yeah, um, yeah didn't quite cancel out, but uh, a little little more work, another thousand patents. Yeah, yeah. Um, now there's a really interesting uh, story actually uh, that that's just gone up on uh, VanityFair.com. Uh, which I believe is going to be in the next, uh, or is in the next issue, 
which which goes into a fair degree of detail, and they're titling it the the Great Smartphone War. Uh, and yeah, quite a uh, you know quite a a, a fascinating uh, article, and not particularly complimentary of uh, of Samsung, shall we say? Yeah, they seem to to take the opinion that that Samsung doesn't care about intellectual property and. Uh, really treats it as, as being common property and only starts to care about intellectual property when somebody sues them and they, they countersue very aggressively when there's the, the Samsung point of view is that there are plenty, plenty of people they could have sued but didn't and they only sue for, um, for patent reasons for, as a, a response. But of course the, the other view on it is that uh, Samsung is quite happy to infringe other people's patents and, and expects to be treated the same way as they do with, with sort of ignoring their own patents. Yeah, and there's some fairly um, uh, strong uh, statements in in there, um, and I can't place it place it at the moment. But uh, yeah, there, there, there's one section where uh, um, one of those that, that's commenting, uh, yeah, is effectively saying that that Samsung are. are uh, uh, um, well, they're, they're prone to lying. That was the way I, I read it. I don't know if you read through the full... Uh, uh, that the, that the, was the, the statement that the story. when they represented um, BlackBerry. BlackBerry were incapable of lying, and whereas Samsung were incapable of telling the truth, I think was the, the line placed. Uh, yeah, I think it was Ericsson rather than BlackBerry. Of course it was Ericsson. Yeah. But it was somebody who had... As a law, patent lawyer who had represented both. Yeah. So yes, yeah. that's that's not a nice thing to say about no, Samsung. No, no. So, so quite a strong article. Um, of course, it's coming from an American publication, um, which may or may not uh, mean anything. And uh, uh, yeah... <laughs> But but all the same, it's uh, you know it's a reasonably interesting, uh, reasonably interesting read. But very hard to really know what the what the true facts are on these things. I, I um, don't think there is such a thing as a single set of true facts. No, no. Um, and I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you could certainly weigh into the picture the the results of the the recent you know patent case and that that. Uh, Difference that Alistair alluded to in mm. terms of um, you know thousands worth versus uh, 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 millions in terms of uh, you know who who won what, but you know I I really uh, think you've got to you know see what's online yourself and, ju- and judge them for you mm. for yourself. Um, yeah, I guess that you know the bottom line at the moment is both of them are are doing extremely well and selling a lot. Of, a lot of product and uh, you know making some reasonable money out there. So yeah, and I think that was that was one of the kind of focuses was that the, even the, the settlement amounts at, at hundreds of millions of dollars is relatively small compared to the profitability of selling millions of these phones. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Uh, now um, a local a lo- bit of uh, local news really is that uh, Microsoft. Have acquired Green Button, who are a Wellington firm who we've spoken to uh, on at least one episode uh, in the past. Quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting company, who have built built a business around um, enabling organisations to 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 
um, take advantage of just the massive power that's available through cloud computing and, uh, you know, being able to offload things from video rendering to, um, to I don't know what, but, you know, very, very hefty computing uh, loads that might require lots and lots of computers if you had physical computers to do them, um, but offloads this into, uh, you know, the, the cloud. And uh, with Microsoft acquiring them, that, uh, that means that, um, the, you know, the, these tasks are going to be offloaded onto Microsoft's cloud, which has got to be good business for them, doesn't it? I think so, and I, I um, heard about this some time ago. I have a friend who was one of the initial investors in, in Green Button, and it seemed like a really good idea to have in the development tool that you use to build your web applications, just literally a, a button that says deploy it onto the, the cloud for me and buy, buy from whichever service provider I'd like with a particular service level. Now, hopefully that ability to broker across multiple clouds is going to, going to carry on, and there is a little precedent for that. The um, Store Simple product that, that Microsoft acquired a little while ago is a cloud storage product, and that had the ability to deploy not just to Azure, but also to um, Amazon and also to the HP cloud. And so hopefully Microsoft will take the same approach here and allow this um, green button product to work with multiple clouds. And of course, they'll just make it even easier to deploy onto Azure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to watch that. I mean, my my pick is there. Um, I think it's being acquired effectively by the, you know, becomes part of the uh, Azure uh, team. So they, yeah, they may focus on on that. And from the customer perspective, I guess the customer doesn't really matter. They're throwing, they're using this tool to get a particular outcome. Where it goes may not matter to them as long as they get the right outcome for for the right sort of. Uh, yeah, price. Yeah, there's there's differentiation in the products that are available on on cloud, and so there is often value in having the option to use different providers. But Microsoft may choose to to do their historic method of tie it down to the Microsoft ecosystem, or they may be more cloud like and say, well, you can you can use this to consume cloud from where you want. We just yeah. well, I guess it depends on what what the pros and cons are of each from a consumer perspective as yeah. well as from theirs being. I, uh, I like to see they, consumer choice, and that was definitely what was in this product. Um, but yeah, but uh, uh, Microsoft's business model is probably not to make a lot of money from Green Button, but to make a lot of money from Azure. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I think uh, certainly a bit of you know debate going on uh, around you know how good it is for uh, for New Zealand when when our businesses sort of sell up internationally like this rather than stay as uh, you know Kiwi owned businesses. And you know, I think each situation is you know is quite different. Uh, you know, we we look at zero, for instance. They've you know they're they're continuing to to grow. You know, as effectively still a New Zealand business, although you know ownership of it is between shareholders all around the world, effectively as well as being uh, you know listed on the uh, New Zealand stock exchange. Uh, a lot of US investors and Australian and so on. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not. You know, I'm not, in this case, I'm certainly not, uh, you know, particularly upset around what's happened. Al, do you, do you have some, uh, yeah. you know, thoughts in either direction on this particular acquisition? So there's a couple of things that I, I, I kind of feel are good about um, foreign acquisition. T- typically brings in a big pile of money that wouldn't necessarily be available locally. And uh, Microsoft's got deep pockets to invest in making this thing much bigger. Um, what I like to see is when there's foreign ownership of these innovation companies is they leave the innovation and development in New Zealand because we we are very innovative. We do find solutions to problems people didn't even realize they had. And when we start seeing that R&D function 
being shipped into other countries that are not necessarily as number eight wire thinking as we are, then the value of the company goes goes away a little. And I kind of feel that happened to Navman when they were part of Brunswick, that things went offshore that probably should have stayed within within New Zealand just because of the, the worldview that we have is different. And I'm hoping that, that Green Button continues to operate out of New Zealand with that same let's let's make stuff work, let's make something that's useful mentality that, that, that built the company. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there is definitely some value in, in having overseas investors because the amount of money that you can generate out of um, 300 million um, people in, in the US is significantly higher than you can make out of 4 million here in New Zealand. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, they're already, you know, well stocked with, with some, uh, you know, in, international, uh, you know, clients, uh, mm. yeah, such as NASA. Probably not a bad one to have on your client list. They, they certainly look good when you do the NASCAR slide showing all of your, your customers. And fundamentally, these cloud service-oriented products are, are really good. They're the knowledge economy that New Zealand is supposed to be um, moving towards where we have more and more uh, online delivered value, you know, s- relatively small amounts of data transfer for lots of value, which has got to be good for New Zealand. Yep, yep, uh, definitely. Um now the the Galaxy uh, the Galaxy S five is a product I've been uh, I've been playing with uh, since since launch. Now one interesting thing that I've I've come across uh, that that is I guess a, a difference between uh, the fingerprint reading capability on the S five versus the way that the uh, that the iPhone handles it. And um, with an iPhone, if you're linked into sort of a corporate email system, in most cases it sends down a policy to your phone saying you need to use a, a you know a pin number to unlock your phone. Uh, now the first time you turn on your uh, your iPhone, it will get you to put that pin number in, but thereafter you can use the fingerprint reader uh, as an equivalent for for passing that pin number through. Uh, and that work that seems to work, uh, you know, pretty well actually on the uh, on the on the iPhone, uh, you know, five S. Uh, but the way the Galaxy S five does it uh, is, if you're linked up to your corporate email, it, it which forces a pin number, um, the pin takes over, and you can no longer use your uh, use the fingerprint uh, reader as your way to log into uh, or to access the phone. So. Something that's uh, yeah that, that I've come across in terms of the the testing there that I thought's worth mentioning. Um, my understanding is that uh, uh, Samsung, um, having really just launched that biometric capability, are uh, are still working on that. Um, the other thing which I've seen a lot of uh, discussion around online is people wondering where they download the Samsung uh, Knox, which is the uh, uh, security um, component. The layer for uh, for the for the Galaxy S5, um, and I've been looking around online for that. Very very little information. Uh, shot the question back to uh, Samsung and uh, asking when it's available, and they're saying, "Hey, it's available now, um, but it needs to be enabled via uh, mobile device management um, application." So. Um, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's, it's it's not a user installable thing. It's it, it's something you inherit when you enrol your device with the the corporate 
uh, device management components. Yeah, yeah. Enables. So, um, so in, in business cases, uh, yeah, that 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 that's how it uh, that's how it comes up. So, somewhat different, but I think this is the new version uh, two of Knox. Um, that response from Samsung seemed a little bit at odds with the things that uh, we were seeing online. Uh, but likely because others maybe hadn't asked that question back to uh, Samsung, um, so it's something we'll have a bit more of a bit more of a look at and give some feedback on that. Uh, anyone out there that has tried the um, um, in, enrolling their um, their Galaxy S5 um, via their sort of you know corporate uh, mobile device management system, uh, we'd, we'd certainly be keen to hear what uh, what your experiences uh, were with that and and how well that uh, that all all fits together. Uh, now, also, um, we wanted to have a quick chat around the Intel uh, NUC, or Intel NUC, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Uh, NUC stands for the Next Unit of Computing. Uh, Alistair, uh, we, we've had here the um, there are a couple of variants of this. Uh, the i5, or in, Intel um, i5-based uh, unit, and one here with the Intel uh, um, Atom-based based, uh, processor or Celeron uh, processor based on the Intel Atom chip. Now these are little computers that you can that are that are so small you can attach them to the back of your TV and and so on. You're using one as sort of a home media center plugged into your TV at home. That's right. So I, I have one of the i5s that I picked up probably a month or six weeks ago when I was up here in Auckland, and uh, it runs for me Windows Seven Media Center. And so it is, uh, it's about 10 centimetres uh, square and, and about probably 4 or 5 centimetres tall. Uh, in the box it comes with a, a metal mounting plate that has Visa 100mm and 150mm holes. And that plate is actually larger to make the 150mm holes. It's actually larger than the, actual, the NUC itself. Right. So this and is those a are really the, small unit. And those are the standard holes that are on the back of... Yeah. computer monitors and, 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 and your TV. and TVs and so, so on for, if I didn't, for attaching things. Yeah, if I didn't already have my my um, LCD TV mounted to the wall, the, the holes that I've used for that wall mount kit would, would line up with this this kit on the NUC. Right. So instead, I've uh, I've mounted the NUC to the wall directly behind the, the TV. The TV's on an on arm that swings out and moves, but the NUC's right. stuck to the wall behind it. Okay. And when it's pushed back against the wall, you can't see the NUC's there. I've just got a single piece of conduit that runs the power and the network up. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a nice little device. It is really quiet. It does have a fan. The fan does kick in when it's working very hard, but as a media center machine, it doesn't really work very hard. Right. And having a PC in your lounge attached to your uh, TV... What I've are the had that for probably five years, and I have a wife and teenage children, all of whom are very happy using Windows Media Center to navigate around the, the various content that we have. Right, so you use that for watching TV, goes through there and recording TV? I don't actually use it for watching TV. I, I use it for um, downloaded content um, okay. or yep. um, content off that's been scraped across from, across from DVDs. Yep. So it's, it's really for um, media content rather than for TV and do you do web browsing on it as well? Occasionally, the, the, um, the, my, my daughters have started using it for web browsing and viewing YouTube videos um, when they're, they're hanging around at home. Yep, yep. Okay, okay. Oh, good. Uh, so, yeah, so those, if, you, if you're into that sort of, you know, it's a, uh, you know, a variation on the custom-built uh, PC, uh, and they tend to come um, not with all of the, you know, the components in terms of disk and so on, 
there, there are a few variations in terms of options here with whether they um, you know, take a, a, a standard laptop type hard drive or, or, or not. Uh, and uh, you tend to put your own sort of RAM in there and, and wireless and so on. But, mm. uh, yeah, well worth a look if you're interested in that sort of custom uh, machine and you want something really uh, uh, really pretty small. They're, uh, they're also reasonably priced, aren't they, uh, now, Alistair? With this sort of generation of them, they sort of range from two to $500 for the, you know, the base uh, unit, and then you start adding RAM and, and, and disk and other bits and pieces in wireless to build them up. Yeah, yeah. So I, I chose not to put wireless in mine. I just have a small local solid-state disk, and I have a NAS device that contains the media, and, and then I have to buy RAM as well. Um, for me, building a computer from components is, is no, no big trial, and I think for many of our listeners, this is true as well. But it yeah. is definitely something you build up yourself, although... I guess there's an opportunity for um, for, for the small computer shops to, to do a pre-built bundle for you. Exactly. Um, so you don't have to be a complete, you know, tech head uh, to you know to use one of these. As as you say, you can buy one that you know local computer uh, shop uh, you know configures up and puts together for yeah. you. Yeah. The other thing is these these things actually fit nicely into a little TV cabinet. So in our living room, I haven't put the second. I'm going to buy a second one of these things because the first one works so well. Uh, when budgets allow, but uh, on the floor next to our TV cabinet, I have a, a small form factor PC. But uh, the NUC can just go inside the cabinet; it can sit on top of the sky box and and look right in place in there. Yeah. So that that much more compact size is really good for for home and living room, and it's got a built-in uh, infrared connector, so infrared receiver, so you can just use your uh, Windows Media Center remote as what I use to control it. Yeah, that's great. That's excellent. Uh, yeah, I mean, very handy having having the infrared remote. Uh, yeah, capability. Yeah. You know, stretched straight uh, right right there, and uh, reasonable. You know, the, you know, both of them are, are you know reasonably capable for uh, standard sort of you know, video viewing. Uh, you know, even down to that lower lower cost ones. So nice option. Now, uh, one area that we wanted to uh, put a bit of focus in for. Uh, for this episode is something that um, probably many of you have had some pain with in the past and certainly for for Alistair and I who who both do a fair bit of travelling is an area that uh, yeah we've had both good and bad results I'm talking about hotel internet cause of much um angst amongst frequent travelers like myself yeah so um the thing that triggered this i was uh i I booked some accommodation uh quite recently uh with my family away for the weekend um and when we went online we you know basically filtered out the hotels that didn't have uh free free uh free wireless internet uh provided uh because we you know we wanted to be able to check emails uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of YouTube uh, viewing for um, well, not necessarily just the um, the youngest in the family, but um, you know, uh, you know, but being able to consume a little bit of content, um, being is, is connected at high speed is is a natural part of our lives these days. Those uh, Paul and I, and, and definitely the majority of our listeners, um, when you're off the internet, you feel like you're missing one of one of your limbs is gone. And being stuck on a 1980s speed internet connection feels like one of your one of those limbs is actually being sawn off as you're trying to do something online. 
I don't know if you're overstating it there, L. Um, but yeah, certainly there there there's a downside. So anyway, we we arrived at our uh, accommodation, and uh, you know I think it was my wife that uh, decided to, uh, to 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 use it first. And uh, yeah, the experience was was so bad it was uh, yeah it was effectively un, un unusable. And uh, I did a little bit of investigation. It appeared that they had ultra-fast broadband. There was a strong Wi-Fi signal in the room. Um, but whatever the other issues were behind the scenes, they weren't able to deliver a, uh, uh, a reasonable internet connection. So I went through a couple of processes. One, I you know, called the reception to sort of alert, alert them. Uh, we did that a couple, a couple of times. Uh, and, yeah, they didn't really have, uh, you know, there wasn't much that, that, they, could, uh, that they could do. Uh, and uh, then we called um, the company that we booked the uh, the room through, and I think it was either hotels.com or booking uh, booking.com. Uh, and because those are two of the ones that I'll, I'll often uh, use, and they their comment back to me was, oh, you should have alerted us immediately. We would have moved you to some alternative accommodation uh, that was able to uh, deliver a good result. So I guess the, the, the tip out of that and the thing that I'll, uh, I'll learn for next time is if it's really critical, you know, address it early on and, uh, and get it dealt with. Now, it didn't ruin our weekend too much because we weren't around the hotel much at all, to be fair. Um, but it was an inconvenience and it was one of the reasons that we stayed in the hotel. So it left a little bit of a bad taste that uh, we'd picked them based on this particular uh, thing and they weren't able to uh, deliver it. We chatted to a couple of other guests just to get their uh, their feedback. Uh, one of them said that they didn't use the internet at all all weekend. Uh, and the other uh, guest of, of uh, our family, uh, they had similar experiences to ours and said that they couldn't, it was so poor that uh, it took them about three minutes to send an email. I don't know whether they're using webmail or how they were doing it, but that took them about three minutes and they were uh, unable to use Facebook. Um, so the experience was uh, was that that poor. Um, Alistair, what have been your experiences, and have you found any tricks that uh, you know make, make this um, process a, a little bit easier? Obviously, there's online reviews and so on. Are they something that you you know frequent before booking into a hotel? I not to. I um, I don't have a huge amount of faith in, in online reviews because there's all kinds of agendas. The very positive reviews can actually be the hotel themselves. The very negative reviews can be a, a competitor. So you, you, know, you take them with a huge grain of salt. One of the things I would say is that when you're using one of those booking sites like hot, uh, hotels.com or I use What If, uh, you have a relationship not with the hotel when you do the booking but with the booking site. And this is why they wanted you to go back to them first off, because you're actually their customer and they are the hotel's customer. And it's when you realize that's the relationship that fits together, then you kind of see a, a different way to escalate. Um, my approach when I have really poor internet in the hotel is um, not to book at the hotel again uh, and to use my phone. I tether all my devices off my phone because I have a, a two and a half gig a month plan on the phone and I don't usually use more than a third of that in a month. It can be difficult though if you're overseas or if you've got, oh, you know, yes. you want to do something like YouTube that consumes a little bit more other members of the family, etc. So, I mean, it can, uh, you know, the advantage of it being free can go away, uh, you know, can be very quickly outweighed by the cost of, you know, u- using up your uh, data. And I'm sure part yeah. of the reason that you have to have that two and a half gig 
uh, plan is to cater for those times when you're travelling. Those occasions, it's certainly when I'm I'm travelling domestically, and um, and to be fair, usually I'm staying um, business grade places when I travel, and so quite often there will be an extra fee for the the internet access, and I'm happy to pay that if I get a good service. Uh, free free Wi-Fi at, at a hotel can be like free Wi-Fi at a cafe. You get what you get, and uh, you can't really complain too much if it's a in quotes free service. It's a bit of a hard one, isn't it? Because if you book in on the basis of of that, and uh, um, I guess one way I, I looked at it with uh, you know free uh, free hotel Wi-Fi, um, you know you get some accommodation that includes a, a breakfast. Um, built into the price, you'll, oh, yeah. you'll pay for that. It's now, if you turned a decision point, if you turned up and uh, and you got to the breakfast room and there were a hundred people and uh, One you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> then you'd uh, you know you'd have cause for complaint. I, th- I, I, think, I think so, and it sort of I think it falls into a, a, a similar category. I think there is a reality that all of these things cost money to do, and when something is listed as you know as free in these cases, it. it uh, um, yeah, you you have to uh, you know consider that it might not be as good. Check the reviews, whatever else you can do. Uh, but yeah, be be warned uh, that these things aren't always as good. And even the paid ones. Uh, I don't know if you have experienced this, but I've been in hotels where you're actually paying yeah good money, twenty to thirty dollars a night for for hotel internet, and yep. then found that it's extremely poor or it limits you to. Uh, you know, a hundred megabytes worth of uh, you know d- data transfer, which you can uh, you can run through quite quickly if you you've got some downloads or updates to do, etc. Yeah, and and I run I'm involved in in a podcast, a video podcast, a V Brown Bay podcast, and we use a shared Dropbox folder for all of the videos, and there can be three videos each of which is eighty megs can can drop into my Dropbox within the course of three days, and if if you've got a hotel plan that only allows Half a gig uh, over over the course of a week. Yes, that can hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a word of caution when you're uh, when you're booking accommodation online. Um, if you want to be on the safe side, then you could potentially call call the uh, you know the hotel first and uh, and and get some you know some some feedback. Although, as I was told at this particular property, uh, and I test and we tested their uh, internet from various parts of the building, and on a whole mix of devices, and we were getting download speeds uh, often of zero point zero one megabits per second. Um, that was uh, one of the one of the speed tests. Uh, we were told, "Oh no, nobody else has complained about our internet service today." Uh, doesn't seem to be a problem. We don't think uh, that uh, this is something that we need to address. So uh, you won't necessarily get the full story if you call the hotel and ask you, them you how good the marketing their internet story is. about so, how good it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there we go. Anyway, some some interesting uh, lessons there. Well, that wraps us up for this week. So thank you everybody for uh, for joining us here on the uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, we will be back again uh, next week, of course. Uh, if you want to hear some of the other podcasts that we produce, uh, visit globalvoicemedia.com and uh, you'll find uh, links and details there. Um, Alistair, how do we track you down and find you online? Well, my online ID is tied to my company, which is Demitas, and so my Twitter handle is DemitasNZ, and my blog's at demitas.co.nz. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, and you can find me, Paul Spain, on uh, most of the social media 
um, areas from uh, Twitter and Facebook uh, through to uh, LinkedIn and uh, um, and Google Plus. Uh, and you can find us, uh, the podcast, at nztechpodcast.com, uh, at nztechpodcast on, on Twitter and, again, across most of the other uh, uh, social media uh, channels. And uh, you can also sign up, I believe, for our uh, mailing list at the nztechpodcast.com uh, site uh, to be kept up to date with uh, happenings as well. So, hey, thanks, everyone, for uh, for joining in, and we'll catch you uh, next time around. See ya. 